The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. time has come to begin the judgment at the house of God and if first with us what will be the end of the ones disobeying the gospel of God in fact if the righteous is scarcely saved where will the ungodly and the sinner appear and so the ones suffering according to the will of God, as to the faithful Creator, must commit their souls to Him by doing what is right. First Peter, the fifth chapter, I'll continue. At verse 5, Likewise, younger men must be subject to the elders, and all being subject to one another, you must put on humility. Because God sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Consequently, you must be humbled under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the right time, having cast 
all your worry upon him because he cares for you. You must be sober. You must be alert. Your accuser, the devil, is walking around as a roaring lion seeking somebody that he may devour. You must set yourself against him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are being endured by your brotherhood in the world. Now the God of all grace, the one having called you unto his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after having suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and power under the ages of the ages. Amen. The Secret of Being Nobody There was a man by the name of Edward Payton. He graduated from Harvard University in 1803 at the age of 20, and he went to Andover where he became the principal of an academy. It was while he was here they heard of his brother's sudden death, and it shook this young teacher from the indifference to spiritual matters into which he had gradually slipped. Now this young man decided to get serious about God. Let me read for you what he said in a letter to his mother. And please, today I'm going to share with you a number of things that this man had to say. He is not the important one. But his journey is vital for us to understand if we are ever going to walk in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are going to enter Zion with singing, and not be cast out. The greatest hindrance to spiritual life is pride. And there's nowhere pride likes to hide more than in the church. He writes, Now if you can, give up all competition with respect to other objects. If you can stand aside from the race which too many other ministers are running and say from your heart, let those who choose to engage in such a race divide the prize. Let one minister run away with the money and another with the esteem and a third from the applause. I have something else to do, a different race to run. But God's approbation, the only prize for which I run, let me obtain that, and it is enough. And I say, if you can from the heart adopt this language, you will find most of your difficulties and sufferings will vanish. But it is hard to say this. It is almost impossible to persuade any man to renounce the race without cutting off his feet, or at least fettering him. This God has done for me. This he has been doing for you. And you will one day, if you do not now, bless him for all of your sufferings as I do for mine. I have not suffered one pang too much. God was never more kind than when I thought him most unkind, never more faithful than when I was ready to say, his faithfulness has failed. Let him fetter you as he pleases. Anything is a blessing which prevents us from running the fatal race which we are so prone to run, which first convinces us we are nothing and then makes us willing to be so. 
Now, this is the man I want to share a part of the journey so that you will understand this incredible process that Edward Payson went through. He wrote to his mother, It is impractical to attempt to reconcile God and the world. I spend my time very unhappily, neither enjoying the comforts of this world nor of religion. But I have at last determined to renounce the false pleasures for which I pay so dear a price, and this I should have done long ago but for the advice and example of some whose judgment I respected. I feel inclined to hope that I am progressing, though by slow and imperceptible degrees in the knowledge of divine things. On comparing my former and present views, I find that the latter are, are much less confused and perplexed. That I have clear conceptions of my utter inability to take a single step in the faith without divine assistance and of the consequent necessity of a savior and of the way of salvation by him yet i cannot find that my conduct my heart or my disposition is made better on the contrary i fear they are worse than ever after long doubting the lawfulness or the rightness of mixing at all in society where duty does not call, and after smarting a number of times for indulging myself in it, more, however, through fear of offending than of any pleasure I find in it, I am at length brought to renounce it entirely, and is it is not a needless process. It does appear a duty to shun all communications with the world when there is no well-grounded reason to hope to do so. There are, to be sure, many pleasurable and plausible reasons, but I doubt whether they will bear the test of Scripture. Can a man walk on pitch and his feet not be defiled? Can a man take coals of fire in his bosom and in his clothes and not be burned? If he can, he may mix freely with the world and not be contaminated, but I am not one who can do it. I cannot think it proper or excellent for a Christian to go into any company unless necessity calls, where he may perhaps hear the name he loves and reveres blasphemed, or at least profaned, where the book which he esteems the word of God will, if mentioned, be alluded to only to weaken and awaken scorn and laughter or adorn a tale where the laws of good breeding ate almost the only law which may not be broken with impunity and where everything he hears or sees has a strong tendency to extinguish the glow of devotion and entirely banish seriousness. I speak only for myself. Others may experience no bad effects, but for myself, when I go into company, if it is pleasant and agreeable, it has a tendency only to fix my thoughts on earth, from which it is my duty and my desire to turn them, to give me a distaste for serious duties, especially prayer and meditation, and to render me desirous of the applause and approbation of those whom I associate, I cannot avoid feeling some desire for its friendship. And this friendship, the Apostle assures us, with my own experience, feelingly convinces me is enmity with God. Now this man's writing, frankly, it seems foolish in light of today's culture and the culture of the church. He has a diary entry. Remember, this is only a young man in his 20s. 
a Harvard graduate. But he is searching to discover the secret of being nothing, that he can have Jesus as his Lord. You cannot be something, you cannot be someone, and have Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's an oxymoron. So this diary entry for June 12, 1805, finds him continuing in his progress in the spiritual journey, but very painfully so. I find I've been trying to establish a righteousness of my own, though till lately I thought myself free from any such design. Hence arose all that unwillingness to perform the public and private exercises of devotion which I felt after my neglect of duty I wanted foolish. I wanted to be foolish in the exercise of these things in the hope of being encouraged in my own heart that I'm accomplishing something. And so I, in my inner heart, felt an unwillingness to approach the throne of grace when I'd been guilty of something which lessened my stock of goodness before God. In short, it was the same kind of reluctance which I should feel to approach a fellow being whom I had injured. And this, which I now see, arose from pride. I fondly thought that it was the effect of great humility on my part. I found myself so deceived here, and in numberless other instances, I am utterly at a loss as to what to do. If I attempt to perform any duty, I am afraid it is only an attempt to build up the fabric of my own righteousness, and if I neglect it, the case is still worse. See, he's finally beginning to understand this desperate trap of religiosity, of the spirit of self-righteousness. this spirit of of religiosity dwells much in our hearts today we would say oh we're christians we're very religious we read our bibles we go to church but it's all just a sham because it covers over our attempts to create our own righteousness, to justify ourselves in our own eyes and in the eyes of others that we can be somebody. Growing up as a young man in my family of origin, it seemed that that which was most important was to be righteous, to be right to be right in every argument, to be right in everything I did. It was to be right, and if I was right, I was okay. I was so right, I was wrong. I was trying to be righteous so I would be accepted and loved, and so that I could be successful, yea, and even do something great for God. And I too discovered what Edward Payson discovered, that all of my righteousness was as filthy rags before God because I was trying to cover my nakedness and pretend that I was somebody. I used to watch on television and read stories of men who greatly succeeded in their life and I would even come to tears sometimes saying I want to be somebody too and then the full striving of my heart to be righteous the full striving of my heart to be accomplished to be skilled to be articulate and clear in the preaching of the gospel And people looked at me and said, there is a very 
holy and righteous man. But at the core, I was still striving to be respected and loved, to be somebody. There was a pastor, his name was Gordon Cosby. He pastored one of the largest churches in the Washington metropolitan area. It was called Church of the Savior. I became friends with Gordon. He had a profound influence on my life over a long period of time. But when I raised up my first independent congregation, a community church, I invited him to come and speak for me. And he came and he did preach. And I was exceedingly angry at his message. So much so that I did not even give him an honorarium. His sermon was The Road Up is the road down. If you want to be somebody in Jesus, be nobody. That was totally contrary to everything I was attempting. I didn't want to hear about a path down. I wanted only strategies for going up, for succeeding. I suspect I am not alone today in the attempt to be somebody. Edward Payton had to learn the secret of being nothing, and he learned that secret, as I'll share in a moment, by God finally binding him hand and foot and beating him. We do not learn humility without being severely beaten. And often that beating goes on for years until we are finally so sick of ourselves and are trying to escape. All hope is given up in the human flesh. In several Later journal records, Edward Payson tells of his fully consecrating to himself, to God, and, and how he kept longing after holiness. It was July 25, 1805. He writes about the day he resolved to dedicate himself so to the Creator in a written covenant that he spent considerable time reviewing his past life and recording the numerous mercies by which he'd been delivered. And then he says, With sincerity I humbly hope I took the Lord to be my God and engaged to love and obey him. Relying on the Holy Spirit for assistance, I engaged to take the Holy Scriptures as a rule of my conduct, the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and the Spirit of all grace and consolation to be my guide and, sac and sanctifier. The vows of God are upon me. Now, dear radio listener, have you taken those vows? He writes, I saw with most convincing clearness that neither I nor all created beings could do the least toward delivering me from my sinful nature. I saw that I depended entirely on the free mercy of God, that there was no reason but his own good pleasure why he should ever afford me the assistance felt for the first time in my life 
what the apostle meant by groaning which cannot be uttered and my desirous heart after holiness was so strong that I was in bodily pain and my soul seemed that it would burst the bands which confined it to the body. Now, in an entry on May 28, he wrote, enjoyed a very unusual degree of sweetness and fervor this morning. Oh, how precious did Christ appear to my soul! How I longed to be pure flame of fire in his service, to be all zeal and love and fervor. With what gratitude did I look to him, saying, Blessed Savior, behold how happy I am, and to thee all my happiness is owing. But for thee I should now have been lifting up my eyes, being in torment. Now, Edward Payson's spiritual hunger led him to begin to look in the direction of ministry, of preaching the word. He relinquished his position at the academy and he began to fill appointments to preach in different places, gifted with a a ready memory and an acute mind, he applied himself to the Holy Scriptures until he was very familiar with them. His preaching was extremely effective. Many of his diary entries reveal his deep love for the Scriptures. May 1, I rose early and had some life and comfort have been so much engaged in preparing my sermon for examinations that my mind has been taken off from religion. I find writing sermons is not praying. May 4. It is now long since I've enjoyed any of those sweet seasons of communion with God, which used to be my chief happiness. I fear I have neglected the scriptures too much and determined to pay more attention to them from now on. May 22, since I began in pursuance of my design to read the scriptures, I've enjoyed more of the divine presence than before. His biographer further tells, the Bible was with him the subject of close, critical examination for a time, almost exclusive attention, his reading being principally confined to such writings as would assist in opening and unfolding the literal meaning of the scriptures. In this manner he studied the whole of the inspired volume from beginning to end, so that there was not a verse on which he had not formed an opinion. This is not asserted at random. It is but a few years since that at his conversation conversion, becoming a candidate for ministry, he earnestly recommended very particular and daily attention to the study of the scriptures and enforced his counsel by his own experience and the advantages from which would accrue from this patient examination of the scripture. He believed all scripture to be given by inspiration of God profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And he was himself a striking exemplification of this competency to render the man of God perfect through the furnished unto every good work by the word of God. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying to you today in context of your life. Have you ever set your heart to fully examine the scriptures and to know the Lord God of heaven? Have you ever devoted your heart to search after the God of heaven, after Jesus? This man his life, he has only one life, as you have only one life. 
and he is dedicating his life to search after God because the object of his love is Jesus Christ. He prayed incessantly. He cried out to God. He knew that he needed Jesus. He writes, Your greatest difficulty will be to maintain the daily performance of closet duty. On your maintaining that part, the fate of the whole battle will turn. This your great adversary well knows. He knows that if he can beat you out of the prayer closet, he shall have you in his power. You will be in the situation of an army cut off from supplies and reinforcements. Sometimes the evil one will probably assail you with more violence when you attempt to read or pray than at any other time and thus try to persuade you that prayer is rather injurious rather than beneficial. He also urged others, pastors and others, to regularly fast. Now, at the very heart of everything I'm sharing with you today is this issue of self. It is self that prevents us from dedicating our hearts and our lives entirely to God. It is self and a divided heart that rebels at the enduring that is necessary in order to gain heaven's gate. It is pride that complains, moans and groans. It is pride that is unwilling to submit to another. It is pride that fills us with self-righteousness and anger when we think someone has wronged us. It is pride that takes offense at a brother and then causes us to speak bitterly to others about how they are unloving. That is pride. It is pride that separates our heart from God's heart. It is pride. It is pride that separates us one from another. Because if our heart is set on being somebody, if our heart thinks we are someone of importance, we will walk over someone who gets in our way. We will show indifference. We will show resistance. We will be unwilling to humble our hearts before an almighty God. Lord, you are the king of heaven and earth. Humble, humble my heart today, Jesus. He wrote another letter to his parents. He wrote, I almost despair of making an improvement in this world. God keeps loading me with one blessing on another, but I cannot grow any more grateful. I cannot feel less proud, less selfish, less worldly-minded. Oh, if God, my by his Holy Spirit, did not prevent me and still in a manner force me to keep striving almost against my will, I should certainly give up in despair. It makes no difference. Let me labor ever so much and feel ever so lively while alone. The moment I go into the pulpit or a conference meeting, I'm as dead and stupid as a post. 
and have no realizing sense of divine things. The meeting house is the grave of everything good, and the place where corruption always gets the mastery. Sometimes it seems impossible that it should be so. I set out from home so strong, so raised up above the world, with so much zeal for God and so much compassion for poor perishing sinners, but I cannot help hoping it is going to be better with me. But the moment I begin, it is all gone. When I seem to be much engaged and the people think I'm all on fire, I fear that God sees my heart like a mere block of ice. If there are any who can look back with pleasure on a life well spent, I can hardly hope that I am a Christian or that I ever shall be one, for never shall I be able to do that. Adieu, my dearest parents, do continue to pray for me, for I am walking on ice, or as the prophet says, in, slipping, in slippery places in darkness. You must not, certainly, my, near, my dear mother, say one word which even looks like an intimation that you think me advancing in grace. I cannot bear it. Everything here, whether friends or enemies, are conspiring to ruin me. Satan and my own heart, of course, will lend a hand. Writing to a friend toward the close of his life, he advises, If any time you have an enlargement in prayer and are favored with access to the throne of grace, do not go away satisfied and self-complacent. Pride says, I have done very well now. God will accept this. You perhaps discover that this is the suggestion of pride. It then takes a new turn. Another would not have discovered it to be pride. I must be very humble to see it thus. Thus, if you continue to search, you will find pride, like the different co coats of an onion, lurking one beneath another to the very center. From his letter to his associates in ministry, he reveals a deep understanding of the dreadful transition from self-confidence to a sense of one's own weakness and nothingness. If we would do much for God, we must ask much of God. If we must be men of power, we must almost literally pray without ceasing. In a word, we acknowledge that in the conversations and in the conversions of sinners, he is all and we are nothing. Our best rule is to give God the same place in our hearts that he holds in the universe. We must make him all in all. We should act as if there were no part of beings in the universe but God and ourselves. It is all God. He shares a secret he learned which has made all the difference. He writes, It will be the easiest thing in the world to give you plenty of good advice. All the difficulty will be to make you follow it. If you are like me, you will never learn anything to any purpose till it is beaten into you by painful experience, and even then you will probably forget it in a tenth part of the time which it took you to learn it. However, I will tell you one thing which experience has taught me. If you will believe it on my word, it will save you some suffering. If not, you must learn it as I did under the scourge. Some time since, I took a little work purporting to be the lives of sundry characters as related by themselves. Two of these characters agreed in remarking that they were never happy till they ceased striving to be great men. This remark struck me. As you know, the most simple remark will strike us when heaven pleases. It occurred to me at once that most of my sins and sufferings were occasioned by my unwillingness 
to be the nothing which I am, and by consequent struggles to be something. I saw that if I would but cease struggling and consent to be anything or nothing, just as God pleases, I might be happy. You think it strange that I mention this as a new discovery? In one sense, it was not new. I've known it for years, but I now saw it in a new light. My heart saw it and consented to it. And I am happy. My dear brother, if you can give up all desire to be great, and feel heartily willing to be nothing, you will be happy too. You must not even wish to be a great Christian. That is, you must not wish to make great attainments in religion for the sake of knowing that you have made or for the sake of having others think that you have made them. Very true, very, very good, you will say, somewhat trite. But how am I to bring myself to such a state? Well, let me ask in reply. Why were you not troubled when you see one man receive military... When you see one man receive military honors, why are you not unhappy because you cannot be a colonel or a general or most worshipful grand high priest? Because you answer, I have no desire for those titles or distinctions. And why do you not desire them, simply because you're not running a race in competition with those who obtained them. You stand aside and say, let those who wish for those things have them. Let the general become a general. It's okay. I don't want to be a general. Well, now, if you can, in a simpler, similar manner, give up all competition with respect to other objects, if you can stand aside from the race which too many other ministers are running and say from your heart, let those who choose to engage in such a race divide the prize. Let one minister run away with the money and another with the esteem and a third with the applause. I have something else to do. I have a different race to run. Be God's approval the only prize for which I run. Let me obtain that, and it is enough. I say, if you can, from the heart, adopt this language, you will find most of your difficulties and sufferings will vanish. But it is hard to say this. It is almost impossible to persuade any man to renounce the race without cutting off his feet, or at least tying him up. This God has done for me, this he has been doing for you, and you will one day, if you do not now, bless him for all of your sufferings, as I do for mine. I have not suffered one pang too much. God was never more kind than when I thought him most unkind, never more faithful than when I was ready to say, his faithfulness has failed. Let him fetter you, that is, if he pleases. Anything is a blessing which prevents us from running the fatal race which we are so proud to run which first convinces us we are nothing and then makes us willing to do so. Hmm. He describes it this way. I have lost my will to be somebody. I have found happiness there can be no such thing as disappointment to me, for I have no desires but that God's will be fully accomplished. I have been all my life a child whose father wishes to fix his individual attention. At first the, the child runs about the room, but his father ties his feet. He then plays with his hands until they likewise are tied. Then he continues, this he continues to do till he is completely tied up. Then when he can do nothing else, he will pay attention to his father. And just so God has been dealing with me to induce me to place my happiness in him alone, but I blindly continued to look for it here and there 
and God has kept cutting off one source of enjoyment after another till I find that I can do without any of them and yet enjoy more happiness than ever before in my life. God has been depriving me of one blessing after another, but as every one is removed, he has come in and filled up its place with himself. And now, when I am a cripple and not able to move, I am happier than ever I was in my life before, or ever expected to be. And if I had believed this twenty years ago, I might have been spared much agony. If God had told me some time ago that he was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world, and then he told me that he should begin by crippling me in all my limbs and removing me from all of my usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it very strange. And yet, how in his wisdom manifested even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out his lamps and then throw open the shutters to let in the light of heaven. I feel desirous that you might see that the Christian faith I have preached can even support me in death. Do you understand today what I'm saying to you? This precious man, Edward Payson, discovered the secret of being nothing. He discovered the secret of happiness, of letting God be everything for him, of not being offended when his wife or his friends treated him in a manner that he thought was unfair. No anger rose in his heart. For his enjoyment was not found in them, it was found in Jesus. He didn't start out that way. He started out thinking that he needed to please everyone else in his life and that he needed the enjoyments as many of you do, you need the television, you need the internet, you need the baseball and the football, you need all manner of enjoyments. Not understanding that all of these enjoyments simply prevent you from the one thing that would bring full enjoyment to your heart. thinking that somehow by becoming somebody you will be happy. No, there's always somebody higher. There's always somebody bigger. There's always somebody richer and more influential. No, the joy is not found in me. The joy is found in Jesus Christ. And I confess to you today, this has likewise been my journey. From my earliest childhood as a poor boy, being raised in the country on a farm. My childhood vow was I will not be like this. I will be somebody. And my striving through education and through ministry to be somebody. As a young man, I traveled spoke in many different places in great venues with thousands in attendance. I found great pleasure in being recognized as somebody. And I thought I was being greatly persecuted when God cut me off from that and told me to leave that denomination. My future was extremely bright there. Everyone was telling me that I would become a bishop. And the Lord said, leave, and put a spirit of total dissatisfaction in both their heart and my heart. And then when the Lord 
set me apart, closed my public ministry and for seven years walked being stripped of everything, money, houses, cars, being shunned by family, being scorned by classmates and fellow ministers, being isolated day after day in a tiny little room set to read the scriptures and pray day after day, and then being given an opportunity to go out and speak at a Holy Spirit revival conference, going full of the power of God and then getting there and discovering that I'm really speaking much to my shame in a way and in a manner to try to lift myself up and be recognized as someone important, grasping at opportunities as they came. And finally the Lord said, Turn away! Turn away! Accept no more appointments! You are not to preach now. You are to be in my presence. Oh, what agony of discipline. His saying, will you accept only from my hand what I choose to give you? You will not reach out to any other human person for anything. You will only reach to me. What agony. But today, what joy. What life, what peace to be nobody. When I started at the Lord's command to do this radio broadcast, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing at a pulpit preaching, but I had pillars in front of me so I could see none of the congregation. Two minutes. I understood the Lord was saying, find my approval and no one else's. Oh, do you see the secret of knowing God is to be nothing. Almighty God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I pray for myself that we could be totally separated from pride that you would grant to us the secret, Lord, the secret of being nothing, that you would be everything. Lord, I praise you and I worship you. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother, my sister. God bless you today with humility. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.